Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Very well. Thank good, you. Good, good. Interesting well, day. Yeah, it is. You know, we talk a lot about the war, but we're going to talk about a domestic war going on now yeah. in, the Dem <laughs> in the Democratic Party. But it's a political war, but uh, it's not like... Uh, uh, they're, they have a monopoly on that. The whole system is at war with themselves. But it was interesting because, you know, uh, we have worked with, identified with, and talked with uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, and uh, she made a big announcement. She got big headlines, and she'll be talked about today and maybe next week, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Tulsi, who was a Democratic Congresswoman and uh, was there a couple terms, but then uh, I think she might have had enough. But uh, she, she was obviously very different. Everybody knew that on her philosophy, that uh, she didn't sound like the typical Democrat. She sounded like somebody that was just uh, telling the truth as, as she knew it in the, in the best manner possible. Uh, so we all suspected that how long is this going to last? But she's been out of Congress for a bit now, and, and she is talented and very capable. So her next step here is a big step, and uh, she decided uh, to chuck the Democratic Party yeah. and leave the Democratic Party. And I imagine they're pretty unhappy because she does have, uh, for not having been a famous vice president or somebody uh, that is, uh, you, know, you know, into regular politics, she was well known and, and respected. So her leaving the party, that's one thing. A lot of people get disgusted and say, I'm quitting this, I'm leaving, I'm not going to be in the party any longer, and they walk away. But she left with a message. She left the party with a message, and that, of course, is important, and that's what people will read. Why, why would they do it? Uh, you know, I sort of did something like this at one time. I, I got disgusted. You, you know, with the way that Republicans were going to still do get disgusted yeah. <laughs> with it. Yeah, but at, at least I made that effort and, uh, and uh, worked with a, another party, uh, the Libertarian Party. But she, she did a good statement. Uh, she has a video and she also has uh, uh, put a written statement out. And it gives us some pretty good information. And... Uh, uh, I was fascinated with that, but I went in there in the first paragraph or two, all of a sudden, wow, yeah. she has a, a lot of interest, and uh, we knew that because we've had discussions with her on foreign policy. Uh, she has so many views that are similar to ours, and she's sick of it all, and she believed the Democratic Party has lost their way, and, and their, their, uh, their policies uh, could lead in the direction of you know, chaos and nuclear war and the whole works. But she was unhappy with other things too. And uh, so it's a good statement. And she certainly stood on principle. She is not, you know, uh, doing this and say, well, what, what is it for me to give my next step? I have to sort of lay out a new platform and yeah. this sort of thing. She just talked about her old platform, what she believed in. And I'm sure she was a believer in these ideas when she went to Congress. And so she's been talking this way. But it is interesting, and uh, it uh, tells you something about uh, if she is absolutely right, and most of her, most of her uh, complaints about the Democratic, they are right. 
and uh, it, it's a frustration that you, you know a lot of Republicans feel with Republican parties. They, you, you know, there's the fake Republicans and the real Republicans and conservative Republicans. It, it's ongoing. But uh, to me, this is this is pretty pretty neat thing that she's doing. It's going to call attention, you know, to the foreign policy. It is going to be calling attention to the Democrats and what's going to happen here. But the big thing is the foreign policy, because you. Know, one thing that we have to realize, let's say that her ideas on foreign policy prevails, then guess where the opposition will come from? It'll be more than the Democratic Party. It's going to be, uh, you know, the war party. That's a great point. You know, I was thinking about who suffers most. First of all, Tulsi Gabbard is an absolute powerhouse. She's a great speaker. She's very magnetic. She has a magnetic personality. She has a broad, broad group of support from across ideological spectrum. She has, I think, able to bring people together in a way that we haven't seen since your campaigns for president. Um, people will say things about, well, I don't love, you know, libertarians will say, well, she's maybe a little wrong on economics, but gosh, she's awfully good over here on civil liberties. And so, you know, you see this kind of broad appeal. So when she stands up and says something like this, Everyone pays attention. And I was thinking on the first, you know, the obvious conclusion is, wow, this is going to really hurt the Democratic Party because she absolutely blasted them. And we're going to listen to a little segment of what she said in a second. She absolutely blasted them out of the water. But literally everything that she said about the Democratic Party could also be said for the old line mainstream of the Republican Party. So rethinking the whole thing, I think she's equally damaging to the Republicans. In short, I think what she says exposes the whole system for its corrupt, rotten, rotten underpinnings. It's the rotten peers that it sits on. And I think that's very, very powerful. And that's why I think we're talking about it today, because I think it is a big shift. But let's go ahead and listen to what she has today. Let's play those. The first 44 seconds is her bill of particulars against the Democrat Party, that first video clip, if we can cue that up and get that going. Here we go. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness, who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Now, an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness. That is a machine gun. Boy, I'll tell you, and that's the big issues going on. You know, it's uh, people who would like to seek the truth, but all they get is the garbage. And uh, all they can do, recognize that people recognize their enemies and they can say, well, the Republicans can say, well, it's the Democrats, they do this and this and this. And they may be right on one issue, but they don't look at the bigger picture. And of course, how often have I brought up the subject about the uh, too much bipartisanship? Yeah. They're, they're endorsing same basic principles, although there's a lot of fighting going on. But the fighting isn't on the principles. The fighting is on political power. 
who's going to make the money right now? You know, is who who's who who can you believe? And uh, who's making the most money? And and, and and when they when they talk about corruption in the Democratic Party, they they compare it to corruption in the Republican Party, and and, and emphasizing you know this whole thing about the uh, uh, criminality, how they how they dispense justice, which is totally unfair, yeah. and their weapons, and uh, and yet yet this partisanship is a is a is a big deal because it is the divvying up of, of the loot. And the power that they steal from the people, but uh, it, it is really uh, superficial uh, that, that when they start talking about, uh, you know, there are some people. Uh, 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 Tulsi mentioned so positively about the importance of the Constitution, and you know, you've heard me say that. Doesn't it make me sick that people that uh, I know they don't give one hoot about the Constitution get up and they're so sincere and uh, and you know and and one thing I learned about campaigning on the trail when you ask questions especially young people they recognize uh, better than some others who's telling the truth some people want to believe what the Republicans want or want to believe what the Democrats say and therefore you know uh, they, they don't want to take it on and I know how they feel about that but who wants to take on you know the group that you are part of but that doesn't mean you should go along with it without criticizing it yeah, and she has not been afraid of criticizing her own party in the past. And I just wrote down a couple of things that we should remember that she's done. Now, remember when Russia went into Syria and started blasting ISIS and al-Qaeda, who had been supported by the U.S., Tulsi uh, praised that. She said, pretty good idea getting rid of ISIS and al-Qaeda. They're bad guys. Everyone kind of knows that or should. And Hillary called her a Russian asset for daring to say that Russia actually did a good thing in Syria. They did us all a favor by getting rid of terrorists. Uh, but Hil but uh, Tulsi sued Hillary for saying that, which is great. She wasn't <laughs> afraid. Um, she spoke at CPAC, uh, the conservative uh, group, and she talked about unity. Um, she went on, I think she went to Syria with Denis Kucinich. I, I remember that. Uh, they went together to, to Syria a while ago. And then she went on Tucker Carlson to blast the FBI raid of Trump's house. And I think, in fact, she was one of the first Democrats that met Trump in the White House, if you, do you remember back then? Mm. So she's shown a history of not being afraid to jump across party lines uh, to do what she considers to be the right thing. So I think this might be the, the rational next step for her. The question is, how does it shake up American politics? You know, and that's what we were kind of thinking about off camera. What, is, what might this mean? She obviously is saying this because she has some interest in a future political career. Otherwise, she wouldn't bother. She'd, she'd be back surfing, right? Probably what she enjoys doing most. But she obviously has some sights on the future as a politician. So the question is, what does it mean now that she's done this? Yes. And, and you know, we've had great sympathy and respect for her. And uh, she was on the program, our program here, when she was running as a presidential candidate. But uh, I always would seek out... Uh, when I was an elected official, would be the people in the progressive realm where yeah. where you could work with them and trying to come together. And the truth is, I've always thought, you know, because we still are, you know, cl close friends with Tulsi, and uh, and we visit and on each other's programs, and uh, I, for for. Uh, b building a coalition is what we need. If you say we want a new party, that's a bigger hurdle. But if you build a coalition, uh, you, you know, 
pe people understand that better. And I think she she can talk to progressive Democrats yeah. and uh, and coming together. And uh, it's uh, and like I said in my opening statement, she may end up with the uh, greatest resistance if this policy prevails. Because I wasn't I wasn't exactly cheered on when I uh, was campaigning by conservative yeah. uh, conservative Republicans. Matter of fact, that antagonized them the most. And a lot of people come up, Ron, I like this and I like, you don't want to spend all this money. But they never said, quit spending money in, in Ukraine or someplace yeah, yeah. like that. But I hope that comes and, I, and uh, somebody like uh, Tulsi will certainly contribute, I think, in a very positive way. And my first thoughts were that, okay, well, this is great. This does not make her a good fit in the Republican Party for the most part, even though there are some young Republicans, Blake Masters, I think, and a few others who are embracing less of a uh, confrontational foreign policy. So let's hope the next generation is coming up. But it's not an obvious for the Republican Party because even the Republicans who are against this whole Russia-Ukraine business, we shouldn't be focusing on that because we have to take on China. You know, there's a lot of that. So... So there is an obvious nexus with the Libertarian Party. I don't know if that's where she wants to go. But if you look at some of her positions and even her past progressivism, it's not incompatible. In fact, I would suggest if it weren't for these stupid labels, it's actually very compatible with something like what the Mises Institute, what Ron Paul was, has been saying and would have said in the campaigns, that if you are concerned about poor people, well, who continues to keep people poor? Well, it's the Fed. Um, who, was, who facilitates the wars? Well, it's the Fed. So if she focuses like you were able to do after the 08 campaign when you brought all the so-called minor parties together and agreed that this, this whole thing is brought together by debt, by spending, by the Federal Reserve. If you care about poor people, you have to care about how the Fed stomps on poor people's necks constantly. You say that so well. <laughs> I've been around the best. <laughs> I learned from the best. I can't handle. I can't add to that. But she should be able to see that too. I think. I mean, I could. You know, maybe in a year, speaking at a Mises conference. Who knows? Yeah, that's right. Uh, very good. Now, this is uh, this is interesting. Interesting news and uh, important news because it's uh, it comes out of a, a frustration uh, when people end up doing this because uh, the, the, what they're saying is the current situation, the current political climate isn't getting anywhere. The, the more you support these major parties, uh, the, the bigger hole we dig, you know. And, uh, but I've said it, we have too much bipartisanship on the very issue you just talked about, is spending money. I mean, do you, did the Republicans ever really cut a budget? I think in recent years, uh, Clinton had better budget results. I don't know whether it was his fault or what, but he had better results than when the Republicans, you know, had the high Senate and the presidency. That didn't mean that all of a sudden they were going to cut spending. It was always an argument uh, you know, how, how much more money they can get for the military industrial state. And uh, they, they've always been very successful there. But the, the unfortunately, uh, as the Democrats, uh, you know, started to change, they changed for the worst. They became more like Republicans and they became more hawkish. Yeah. But at least what it's done is stirred up a little Republican resistance to the Democrats. And, and there's more people standing up against some of this foreign policy in the Republican Party. Uh, the Democrats would do it maybe for a political stunt, but they don't, they don't have any real convictions on that. Yeah. Well, let's move on kind of continue on some of the stuff we were talking about yesterday. We have an article, um, Putin's brutal bombing campaigns have entered its second day as Russian missile strike 
just 40 miles from Poland's border, close to the NATO, so-called NATO borders. And that's what got my attention on this, because they actually use the word NATO. They don't, uh, and I, I think you have some other evidence on this, is that they're starting to use this, but we've been using it all along. This is, um, you know, it's, this is, uh, I, I, well, it's a, the war is, this conventional wisdom, it's a war against Russian aggression. Yeah. That's it. And he's invaded Europe, and the Europeans have to get together. And uh, some people would suggest that, you know, it's a little bit different than that. And it really, you know, came out of what happened in uh, 2014. It yeah. was the people be behind uh, the coup. And it is very, it's, it's Russia against NATO. And there was some agreements after, after World War II and more recently where they would respect Russia to a degree of taking a step back, not a step forward. And they had, you know, projected lines where it'd be, but now it got closer and closer and closer. Russia reaction, and this is what we end, end up with. So it's a, it's a, you know, a real mess that this is happening. Let's continue. But what I think is neat is all of a sudden it's turning up. Watch out. They're coming for NATO. It's NATO. And it is NATO. Yeah. Uh, but who's, but then, then the, really the next step is, oh, if it's NATO, then we have to invade NATO. Well, what are you talking about? Well, we have to stop them. Where does the money come from? <laughs> oh, it, it comes from Germany you know? <laughs> it, or, or Great Britain. Great Britain. Great Britain isn't so great, so I don't think they have any money. Yeah. But they still conspire in some of the sense that where, where they should be conspiring because it, it is uh, the, this whole system. But but it is NATO, and they're recognizing that. And then people, if they, people get to understand it's NATO, you have to ask, where does NATO get the money? And guess what? They should. They shouldn't. What, what they should say: the American taxpayer who least are able to afford it. Yeah, that's <clears throat> exactly true. The thing is, what people shouldn't be shocked. You know, in the '60s, as we know very well, the U.S. could not tolerate Soviet missiles in Cuba, and now the Russians today cannot tolerate NATO missiles in Ukraine. The parallels are there, and we've talked about it before. The difference is back then, they talked and compromised. And unfortunately, at this point, because Putin of Russia kept saying, don't go down this road, don't militarize Ukraine, don't put missiles on our doorstep, and they were laughed out of the room. So finally, it's come to this. It doesn't excuse what happened, but it suggests you have to understand what happened, and it's very important. But as you say, the whole bringing in of NATO, we're seeing more and more of this, and in <coughs> fact... The Secretary General of NATO himself, Jen Stoltenberg, essentially said today at a press conference that the victory of Russia in the conflict in Ukraine will be the defeat of NATO, and that can't be allowed. Here's a guy who said NATO is not at war with Russia over and over again, and now just saying if Russia wins, we are defeated. And we can actually listen to him say this exact thing on this next clip that we have, this audio clip that's coming up, this, if we can put the next one on. Um, it's him saying it in a press conference today. Uh, because it is important for all of us that Ukraine wins um, the battle, the war against uh, the invading Russian forces. Uh, because if Putin wins, that is not only a big defeat for Ukrainians, but it will be defeat and dangerous for all of us because it will make uh, 
the world more dangerous and it will, will make us more vulnerable for further Russian aggression. That's all we need from that one. And I think recognizing this, Dr. Paul, is Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary, who this morning in a press conference with Olaf Scholz uh, said, and if we can actually skip over to that tweet from AZ Geopolitics, I'm going to skip ahead just a little to what Orban says, because Orban recognizes this too. He said, a truce should be concluded not between Russia and Ukraine, but between the U.S. and Russia. Anyone who thinks this war will be completed through Russia-Ukrainian negotiation does not live in this world. The reality looks different. You know, I want to talk about the, the bridge and the yeah. planning, because that just didn't happen one day. A couple uh, bad politicians got together. Oh, let's blow up a bridge. Yeah. Uh, there, there had to be some planning and strategy. But uh, sometimes they come up with a simplistic uh, solution or an answer and explain it all. Oh, the Russians did it. Well, you know, what is so bizarre about that is they actually maybe thought that somebody was going to believe them. But nobody <laughs> believes them now, and, uh, and, and everybody's very suspicious. Now there's some evidence, some concrete evidence. There's some, some uh, memos that have come out to show that there was... Uh, a conspiracy that was a true conspiracy and they were conspiring and planning this thing early on and uh, what, what I found interesting he says uh, uh, they were talking about the information they got the, uh, the author spells out the terms of the mission and that's in quote uh, disabling the Kerch bridge in a way that is audacious disrupts road and rail access to Crimea and maritime access uh, to the Sea of Azov. You know, they knew exactly what they were doing and uh, and who, where was where was the money coming from again? <laughs> U.S., but who was their uh, cheerleader? U.K. Yeah. And, and other uh, so-called allies of Germany, people who were, were and maybe should have been more allies with Germany and, and maybe worked for the market delivering their oil. But of course then, if you were looking for the market to deliver the oil to Germany, which is a great idea. It's a great idea not to have uh, World War II going on forever. Stop the war. Get together. Well, what what do you have, uh, Russians? Uh, oh, well, we have oil. We'd like to sell it to Europe. Okay, we'll build a pup pipeline. But uh, then again, the there's con there was a there's competition there. Uh, well, that's going to crowd out some other people who sell oil. You you mean you're. This is not a free market. Yeah. So what we have to do is get rid of the pipeline and their allies of the their allies of Germany. It makes no sense. And some people are saying if Germany's not careful that what their policies have done, because they're so so crazy, they may that might be the uh, the initiation of the final collapse of the European Union. Yeah. And I've never thought the European Union made a lot of sense anyway, because I like small separate governments and letting people take care of their own self. But uh, this may be a result. Maybe long term is not the worst thing in the world to happen, but on the short term it's chaos, and I'm afraid there's going to be a lot more violence before it's resolved. Now, remember when the war first started, our good friend uh, Colonel Doug McGregor said, this war will be the end of NATO and the EU. Oh. Now, that, that's a pretty bold prediction, and it turns out it looks like he's right. But what you're talking about, we can actually put this clip up. This is a great investigative piece, and I encourage people to read it. It's from the Gray Zone, which does great work. It's Max Blumenthal and his group. Kit Clarenberg did an investigative report exposed. Before Ukraine blew up the Kerch Bridge, British spies plotted it. 
And what they did, the Gray Zone got in possession of an April 2022 presentation that was drawn up by Chris Donnelly, a former senior British Army intelligence operative and rank a NATO official. He made this presentation to senior UK intelligence officials, um, as you say, telling exactly how and why the bridge could be taken out. So it's obvious that the British may not have blown this up this time, but they were planning on it and plotting it. And you mentioned that, you know, they, <laughs> they would suggest that Russia blew up the Kerch Bridge. I can think of one scenario where they might have because it wasn't permanently damaged. They didn't hit the span. But what they did do is they absolutely, absolutely brought together Russian society uh, in a way that it hadn't been because there had been some protests. They solidified, as we did after 9-11. That is the symbol. The Kerch Bridge is a symbol for Russians. And as, as we did after 9-11... Nobody was in disagreement. The guys who did this have to be taken out. And so if, I mean, Russia could have done that if it needed to bring the people together. Uh, but I think it was probably just another miscalculation. You, you know, when the bridge was built, and it, it, the structure went up in two years, which is a pretty good job done. But they, uh, they didn't know what to call it. Uh, we 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 call it the Birch uh, the uh, the Kerch Bridge, Bridge yeah the Kerch Bridge and uh, that uh, that has prevailed but uh, I think it, when I look at it and see the connection and see the economic benefits highway and trains going back and forth and connecting two continents almost like and and if if uh, they should have called it the peace bridge yeah. <laughs> and and worked in that direction but instead you know look at look at what happened something wonderful as that and uh it but it also emphasizes how vulnerable of this is uh, you know surface navies how vulnerable they are World War II airplanes that still fly around the world uh, with the plans of dropping bombs yeah. and intimidations and all. So it's it's the, uh, the it's the moral climate of a country and the people who are so-called running the country uh, makes the difference. And uh, if if it's run by the deep state type people, whose their main goal is power and money, and uh, who, who's going to control the oil? That's why I thought it was. Uh, sort of pretty neat when we threw our weight around, put sanctions on everybody, put all the sanctions on Russia, and they doubled and tripled their income, you know, yeah. from from oil. So sometimes it uh, it doesn't always work out the way they think. And uh, maybe in foreign policy, you have to have a cleansing system, you know, to make the, the tables, uh, you know, more, more equal, because that's what happens in economics. You liquidate debt and malinvestment, go back to work and start building again. And uh, maybe the, both, the two things will happen together. Who knows? Well, I'm going to close out, Dr. Paul, if you're ready, by thanking our audience, obviously, for our listening and viewing audience for tuning in with us. Encourage you, we are, as you know, live on Rumble first. So if you go to Rumble, please subscribe to the Ron Paul Liberty Report uh, so that you'll be with us. Please join our Locals page. We've got a lot of stuff planned there. It's very easy to hit plus on the Rumble and give us a Rumble. That'll help us move up and get more exposure. So you can do a lot uh, to help us move the show without contributing, which you're certainly happy if you'd want to do that as well to the Ron Paul Institute. But let's move up the numbers and get the show. We're very happy with how things are going. Last pitch is for people to come out to Lake Jackson, Texas, wrestle a few alligators, and come to the Ron Paul Institute Conference shut up cancel culture and the war on speech it's a very timely event dr paul and we're looking forward to visiting with some great people 
November 5th, less than a month away. So snap those tickets up now. Over to you, Dr. Paul. Very good. I'm going to close by uh, congratulating Tulsi, you know, because this was a, a bold step, and I bet she feels very good about it. I think her reception has been good, except for the people who are behind the scenes are now trying to figure out how are we going to pre prevent her from continuing to tell the truth. We have to stop this. You know, we don't believe in all this exposure. No, Tulsi, you're doing a great job. We've worked with you. We'll continue to do that. And uh, I, th I think uh, uh, people don't quite realize what it takes to take this step uh, because, you know, you're putting things behind. But I think what you'll find, Tulsi, is that there's a lot more people than you suspected that will be very supportive and they're going to come. You obviously understand the system and you know there are people out there, you have a good reception, but believe me, you'll never know how many people really will support you and will in the future. We don't know those things, but we do know that uh, taking a stand and doing it with, uh, you know, with an effort to support uh, the truth and tell people exactly what's happening will do well for you and you deserve this wonderful congratulation for your step. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.